Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. Joined, of course, with my host, James Rhodes from United Muppeteers. Uh, been an interesting few days, mate. How's your weekend been? Pretty good. It's uh, definitely been interesting. It's it's uh, It's been a little hard to focus on anything else uh, with everything that's happened over this weekend. Yeah. You know, moved quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been an interesting time. Yeah, it has. Uh, it's somewhat nice to talk about football again um, after the week we've just had. So, obviously, um, mixed emotions on what's going on with Sir Jim Ratcliffe's bid. Um, there are those that are obviously very disappointed that Qatar has not been successful with their bid. Um, when you look at how the Qatar bid has been reported, I can certainly understand why people would be disappointed that the nature of that type of bid was not successful. There's obviously some disagreement um, between people on the inside as to what that bid actually entailed. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, but I think we'd all agree that the perfect solution would have been 100% takeover, um, Glazers gone, and um, United no longer under the influence of the Glazers, and um, being funded in such a way. Um, um, the Germans have Vietnam Armed. What's that? The Germans in Vietnam. <laughs> I don't know what's going on behind me. It's uh, something, something strange outside. Or getting, uh... Uh, um, yeah, full on in the back garden now. Obviously, look, I would have preferred the successful better to take over Manchester 100% and, of course, fund United in a way that they haven't been funded for 20 years. Yep. But if we are to believe that the Qatari bid looked exactly as it's been reported by some people. Um, very easy to understand why people were disappointed. And not to be a hypocrite, one of the things that I did say is I would not support minority investment in any way that allowed the Glazers to continue. Just to, just, and just to explain why. My issue would be exactly the same if it was a guy from Belfast owning Manchester United mm-hmm. running in exactly the same way that the Blazers are running Manchester United. My, my issue is more with the ideology than the people, right? Because I don't want I don't want people running United with these types of values and principles and and um and of course making sure that the first principle of Manchester United is profit. Um not saying it shouldn't be profitable, but I think um there has to be more of a, a symmetry between the sport and the business side. So lots of questions remain about Jim. Um, just to finish up this quick summary, I'd like to jump in here. We talked about this three weeks ago yep. on the podcast because we were um, being informed of this. Uh, we were aware that the Glazers were in Nice, I think it was, a week and a half ago. Um, and uh, one of the things we'd mentioned in our podcast a few weeks ago was that any of us were working off the premise that they were preferred better status. Um, And if you look at the way United have been running their books over the summer, one of the things that we had said was looks like a club that are getting minority investment or trying to get minority investment. Um, Not quite sure how important it would have been for Sir Jim Radcliffe, um, whether his minority investment would have been contingent upon those books looking good. I don't know. Maybe it's for that restructuring. I don't know. Um, But I think this has been the intention of the Glazers now for a while to do it like this. Yeah. Um, it may be even as, even as simple as by August, which I think is not mm. impossible. What's your thought? Might have been, yeah, be, 
Yeah, because to give it that way, you know, uh, yeah, we we talked about how that, and and we're discussing how you know by end of August, heading towards the end of the window, how it looked a bit odd. The decisions being made, no purchases, mm-hmm. loans with callback options in January, which when you look at the timing of everything now, you're likely to see by January um, a whole new store, uh, you know, a, a new person running the sporting side of the club. But we'll, we'll get into all the details of that it made the appearance of they don't want to do any deals because maybe somebody else is going to be making the decisions and doesn't want anything else loaded yeah, up onto the this. club. Yeah. And, um, you know, that is, I think to, to, to get on this point specifically, exactly what has happened that by August and into September, they knew, uh, you know, as we, as we said, Ineos were operating under the preferred bidder status and continuously working to come up with a creative solution to the problem. Uh, one of the things that I think is not quite understood by some people is um, it, it was Ineos's bid for a full takeover that was accepted, not Qatar's. Uh, even though it hasn't resulted in a full takeover, it was Ineos's bid that made it to a board meeting and a vote prior to this that was then held up by certain legal challenges. They've been working under the the assumption together that they were going to get a deal done for five months now. And I think that come August, these things take time, but by before the end of the window, it became apparent that they could figure something out. And that, and then in September, the details really started getting ironed out. And uh, in the last few weeks, coming to a finality. And, uh, and so it is interesting in this, and, and obviously we're going to have a, a million questions ourselves and a million things to answer on all of this in terms of the plan moving forward. But I strongly would suggest that the inclination was correct towards the end of the window. We don't trust your sports department to spend money properly and appropriately. And we don't want any more long-term decisions being made. Yeah. And, um, I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it would appear to me that there was already some influence being exerted from the people that were intending to take over the sports side to say, make sure any potential, you know, commitments are short term so that we can reverse yep. those who far sporting director gets in. I don't know speculating. But there's obviously a number of questions that need to be asked. Um yep. that United finds it's really, really important they're measured here. And that mm-hmm. um, emotion doesn't get the better of you. We we have to learn from what happened last time and make sure that commitments are not just made on paper. Um, there's commitments being made to fans. Um, and, and we have the benefit of, you know, this this 20-year, you know, uh, Glazer ownership, essentially. I you know, it's been 2005, but, I mean, they've been there since 2003, um, to where we can learn from those mistakes and make sure that whatever... Um, whatever direction the football club goes in in the future um, has some relationship with what the fans want. I have a lot of big questions myself. Um, I would not support, I'll be honest, I mean, I would be very disappointed if there was no imminent pathway to complete takeover within, you know, three years of some or some type of window like that. Um if it was, hey, we're going to run this together, I would have serious questions. Because if you go back to Sir James uh, Ratcliffe's initial bid statement, it really was a repudiation of the current ownership model. So 
my question is, how do you marry two different ideologies that are intersectional? How do you turn around and say, I'm going to run the sport instead here? You're going to run the business set, but you can't run the sport instead unless it has budgets that are analogous with your uh, ambition. You know, I mean, I I can turn around and say, I want to do this, do this, do this, go, go. And then the players turn around and go, yeah, well, we're not funding that. So that is a major question for me. What is the symmetry between that? Another major question is, so he's paid 1.4 billion, sorry, good word, but they're for 25% of the club. My question is, where does that 1.4 billion go? Um, if that 1.4 billion is taken immediately out of the football club and Sir Jim Ratcliffe's responsible for servicing the debt and restructuring all this, I mean, there's a commitment to reserve, uh, service the debt between them as they go forward, but the initial offer of 1.4 billion goes straight into the pockets of the Glazers. That would be another major concern to me, especially if I'm Jim Ratcliffe. I'm going, wait a minute, you want me to invest, so you get a major return, but you're not willing to invest the money you just got. The, to to share that commitment whenever you're still the majority owner like there's just a lot of questions that need answering to me on that yeah and and i don't want to make promises to people before the details come out because it's important not to do that as well um what i can share is only based on the things that have been told to me in terms of the intentions which require of course follow through that's a very important part of this no matter what i because if, if i share here a lot of things which i will in terms of what I understand are the intentions of Ineos or to Jim Ratcliffe in this bid, an important part of all of that is they have to follow through. And that is where a lot of the critiquing will have to come from. But then there's also a logic to a lot of this. So um, first and foremost, one thing to that I think of note uh, in terms of being real here is if it's, let's take an easy number of 1.5 billion US Okay, and, and, and flip the conversion just so that we have it 1.5 billion US being invested. The first thing of note is that half of that money is not going to the Glazers at all. Um, half of that is being given to the class A shareholders at uh, who, um, who own stock in Manchester United publicly. That is, uh, there's three major shareholders of that, the train, Lowell, uh, eminence capital. There are these class A major shareholders. Their shares are publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Part of the challenge for the initial agreement was that they were presenting a legal challenge saying, why can you just buy this dual share setup? Let me interrupt yeah. really quick because there's one question yep. I have that um, confuses me. Why did the share yep. price drop if their shares are being bought? Because only their shares are being bought, right? This is going to be a private agreement, which is which can be done at any point in time where Jim Ratcliffe is likely going to be making an offer to those three major shareholders to buy up a big chunk of their shares for more than double the market price at the moment, okay? That offer is not likely to extend to the rest of the, uh, the shareholders, Right. It's not likely to extend to all class A shareholders. This gets really complicated and they wouldn't be moving. This is why it took so much time. They wouldn't be moving forward with this if they didn't know now that this was legally acceptable. But this is why it gets really complex. Um, there's a route here where by doing this, they stave off the legal challenges of these major shareholders, make them happy, give them a big bonus to what they were looking to receive from Qatar and allows in the long term them to kind of circumvent this. So only 750, I say only, only 750 million 
will be going to the Glazer family, which is expected to be done as an equal sale, meaning all six Glaber siblings will be selling somewhere in the range of um a you know three percent mm. of their of their shareholdings, uh well not of their shareholdings, but three percent of the class B shares each. The end result being that Jim Ratcliffe should end up becoming the largest shareholder. That doesn't mean majority, to be clear, mm-hmm. but the largest shareholder on the Manchester United board. Um, a couple of things that I think are no- of note of this from a logical standpoint that people need to think with. Um, first and foremost, he's paying twice what those publicly traded shares are worth. Okay. So just when one logically looks at the situation and says, why would he be doing this? Is he going to buy these things in order to flip them and make a profit on it? And he's just like any other private equity investor. And the answer to that is a is pretty obviously no when you look at it from a logical standpoint. He is overpaying by hundreds of millions instantly for those class A shares. He could buy them on the public market right now for between $17 and $20 a share. He's going to be paying about $40. This is a loss, an immediate loss of $370 million in terms of what he's investing into Manchester United. That money is going to those private investors who have owned those shares. It's not going to anybody else. So there's no, it's not going into the club. I would imagine one of the reasons he's overpaying is because he doesn't want to buy class A non-voting rights shares. He wants to make sure that he didn't want to in the first place. Yeah. He didn't want to, right. That was the whole deal was to just buy the class B shares because Mm. United being on the, on the New York stock exchange is sort of pointless in a lot of respects. One, because uh, a football club is never going to be run for profit. It shouldn't be. And it's, it's likely never going to be very profitable in comparison to you take companies who are on the stock exchange that it makes sense. Companies like Apple, Tesla, their, their product is profit. And even though under the Glazers, there's been a bit of a focus on profit and dividends and things like that, for the size of the company, even then, it's barely profitable, right? It's not. It, it, it's, it's sort of an odd thing in general. But one of the things and, that that yeah. did offer us, James, is it give us a look at their public, their financials, right. what become public. Right. So that is one of the positives we've gotten from it. Yeah. Sorry, Cole, go ahead, man. Yeah, that is one of the positives we've gotten from it, as you've been able to look at it, and they're going to have to file these things publicly when this deal is reached in terms of exactly what it entails, and that's why it's important to to wait a little bit and see, you know, in specific what happens on all of this. Yeah. The money, the money is paying to the Glazers. I don't expect them to reinvest maybe a little bit, but I don't expect them to reinvest it. I think that when you look at it logically, if they had agreed a deal to sell the majority of their shareholdings to Ineos in the past, that means there's an appetite to sell from those for at least those other four siblings that are not Joel and Avram. And the deal simply couldn't go through from a legal standpoint. And that's the way that it's being portrayed. That's the way that I'm hearing it is that it is just in, in this question, it is simply a way around the legal challenges that were represented to where it becomes, a yes, a longer process, but the end result should be the same. So where's the confidence the coming from that the Glazers uh, are willing to sell their shares in the next three years and let them become um, the complete, if they're not willing to do it now, why would we be willing to do it in three years? And what exactly, how exactly does Jim Ratcliffe's influence change anything at United to where the Glazers are willing to concede 
certain um, you know uh, authority to club direction to football club that allows it to be run completely different, not in a way that's consistent with their values and principles. Yeah, so I think that there's a there's a big a big huge piece here has to be this. The four Glazer siblings not named Joel and Avram approved a sale to Enios already. Right? That is a fact. They approved a sale to Enios back in May. Um, they voted yes in favor of that sale. That's, of course, how Enios continued to approach this and understand that those four would be willing to get out. And Joel and Avram even were on board with the same process that would have left them as minority shareholders and not the biggest voices. But the, way, the, way, the way the bylaws are written, teams is that they can't sell those with their agreement of all six. Yeah, sure. And the thing is, I believe that they agreed. The issue in the in the latest athletic article on this represented that it went to a board meeting and all six of them were in agreement on a deal that would have sold to Enios, uh, as sold the majority rights to Enios. However, it was presented these legal challenges that, that, that would come up that may have stopped the deal from occurring because it did not include class A shareholders. And they're looking at a means to go around this. There's an agreement or at least a willingness to sell from those four. And there seemed to be an agreement or a willingness to allow them to sell from Joel and Avram. They want to be involved. They want to hold on to their shareholdings. That much is true. But it does not seem that they were against the idea of becoming minority shareholders in the company themselves. Right. And that is a, that is an important part of it. Now, obviously, all that being said, we're going to need to see what is in the agreement for, you know, this as a whole, this, this in the long term, where we're going to have to see it because. Surely you would imagine if you're Jim Ratcliffe and you're saying, okay, we're going to this club together. There has to be a mutual commitment to invest. It can't just be me. Right. So I can't be the one coming and saying, hey, you, you retain majority owner. I'm a minority owner, but I'm going to be the one that's going to provide the finance or the restructuring, the debt restructuring, there has to be some mutual commitment from that he's, you know, secure from the glazers to say, look, if I'm going to buy you out in three years and increase valuation because the club's got all this investment, you have to be willing to invest too. Because I would imagine he wants his 25% to increase in value. And I would, I, I, I would be confused as to why he would be willing to take minority ownership and be the majority funder of the football club. I mean, surely there has to be some secured commitment from the Glazers to say you have to invest part of your capital in this. Maybe, but I'll give you an, an, an analogy because I don't expect them to. In, yeah, in, that, in, that, in that way, I'm entirely pessimistic. So I have to put look at the logic of it. If you buy a house today that's worth a million dollars, at a valuation of a million dollars, and you put two hundred thousand down, and you buy your twenty, you put your twenty percent in, with an agreement, of course, because this is how you purchase a house, that you are going to own the house eventually. It's a thirty-year mortgage. That's a long, long time, right? Um, but if there is, if you know that there is an agreement that you're going to keep making these payments, that result in you owning that property in the long run as a majority owner and eventually a complete owner, you'll invest. You don't expect the bank to put the money in. But in one condition, that the buyout price is agreed today, not three, four. Correct, years. correct, and that that is totally true. That is that is a very, very good point, and that is totally accurate. The you wouldn't do it on the basis of an open-ended valuation down the road, right? You're not going to say, well, if 
<laughs> you know, we're going to, I've got this option to buy you out in two years. I've got the option to buy the house out in two years, but I'm going to buy it at the later valuation based on my, all my investments. If I buy that house for a million, put 200,000 down, and then I invest another 100,000 in renovating it, and that increases its valuation, I'm not going to pay the bank again for that so increased that, value, right? This is the part that they don't understand. If you agree on that fee right now, why not sell it all right now? Because it's not going to increase value, you know, three, four years from now, you're getting the same buyout price, surely? For them, potentially, yeah. For them, potentially. Yeah, so, I mean, if I'm... For if them, I'm potentially, but for the buyer, it may be a lot easier. To not yeah, pay of course, enhanced value. Acquisition yeah. cost, it's a payoff, it's not immediate. Yep. But then you have to countenance that with, okay, but this asset um, still has the six Glazer siblings have a major control over the direction of the asset that yep. I'm... So this could depreciate significantly. Yeah. If, yeah. If, 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 you know, I don't have equivalent say this is what i need to understand is so how have they created symmetry between jim ratcliffe's ideology and how united want to be run and the glazers because here's the thing um football is not you know you know you know it's not rocket science right you know mm -hmm. so when i'm looking at this then going um you know, to get a football club right now, it's not alchemy. I mean, you, 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 if the Glazers had shown any serious appetite to balance the two things to make sure that it were, you know, an exceptional sporting institution and a business institution, um, they could have done that, but they've never really shown any tremendous appetite where they feel like, look, if you need to finish second, I'm okay with that because, you know, it guarantees the revenues that we value. So how all of a sudden do you get the Glazers to concede okay, this is no longer being run for the sole purpose of personal enrichment. This is a sporting institution, and you have to dilute power to let me accomplish that, and you have to make sure that the resources that are invested in this football club are redirected into things that you've never wanted to do. Um, and I just I have concerns about how you find any symmetry between these two. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is they are getting paid for it. Yeah. They're getting paid for it because he's giving them a six billion valuation on the club. Yeah, but they could. I mean, let's let's say we take Qatar's bid at face value. They could have got that right now and got paid a lot less. I mean, that is the you know part of the problem here is that this is all it all comes down to the finances and what's actually true at the end of the day, right? And the and the issue with it is that let's break it down even a little bit further on some math here. Jim's offer is one point three billion. Uh, for 25%, and um, and and not in pounds. So that puts it at at five point. What is that? Five point two billion. You know, in in indirectly, it seems like it's 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 in that range, but it's coming towards a, a valuation of six billion. By a lot of accounts, the Qatari offer was probably a little lower than that in valuation. But you also have to consider that enterprise valuation usually includes the debt with it, and this is where a lot of the stuff online doesn't match up with reality um debt is included in club in an enterprise valuation when you're course, in club. Yeah. Asset, you know if yeah you, if you go trade your car and you still owe 20 grand on it mm -hmm. that's coming, you know it's yep. and, and the dealer's giving you 30 you get 10. so the reality is that and so realize that sir jim's if he's offering 1.3 
And that's what he's actually offering. We're not talking about a valuation. We're talking about what he's actually paying. When you add the debt onto that 5.2, that means he's giving them a valuation of 6 billion compared to a valuation of somewhere in a range of 5 to 5.2 billion. Mm. And that's the difference. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. They don't want to accept 5 to 5.2 billion. They want to accept that money from from Jim. Now, the most important thing I think comes down to uh, at the end of the day, what is going to happen with, like you've mentioned, the the sporting aspects of it? How do you run a football club when you have this kind of ideology in place? And one of the things that I think has been um, that has con- continued to go under the radar in terms of a lot of discussion over football is UEFA already handled this problem for everybody. Um, UEFA have set United's football budget just as they've set Man City's football budget, just as they set Arsenal's football budget, and just as they've set Liverpool's football budget. Um, By introducing a percentage cap on revenue, you've practically made the football budget uh, unshakable and not practically, you effectively have. And as it continues to go down year by year, it was 90% for this season of your revenues could be spent on football related wages, transfers, et cetera. Right. Next year, it's going to be 80%. The following year, it's going to be 70%. United have under the Glazers been outspending that cap, the future cap, what it may be. They've been in the range of 80% for to 90% for quite a long time. This is a problem that has to be sorted out, you know, in, in football in general, and it will have to be dealt with by almost every single club because there are a lot of clubs that breach that cap. And obviously that cap was introduced almost in response to the Super League as a bit of a, um, what would be the word for it? Uh, A response to the clubs that had the concerns that wanted the Super League in the first place. The clubs like Real Madrid, the clubs like uh, United, the clubs like Liverpool, that were effectively going against this pumping of money in that was being done by state backed clubs at the time to say, listen, we want a cap on this. We don't want clubs to be able to pump money in uh, willy nilly without it being legitimate revenue and then spend whatever they want. That's why UEFA put it in place almost to, um, I guess, give some What's the word for it? It's, it's escaping me. But to, to give something back to these clubs that had these genuine concerns, which were part of the reasons why yes, they approached the Super League. Yeah, some concessions to them, which is part of the reasons why they approached the Super League in the first place. And we know that UEFA is likely going to come with their own Super League in the future anyway. And that's a big mm-hmm. part of, of, of why, you know, there's a, a holdout for, for future value. So I have a question on that because, first of all, United could have spent another hundred million in January and still in the summer and still be mm-hmm. compliant with FFP because the UEFA does allow for owners to inject have a cash injection, right? A one-time right. cash injection to mitigate losses. Um, so you know, they're, they're, you know, certainly could have um, had they have had owners that were willing to do that. There certainly was a lot more room for maneuver. But even if the Glazers had been willing to do that, I still wonder if there was. Influence being exerted, like we said on any else about making major long-term commitments to players, yeah. that yeah. Um, they might want to reevaluate in January. Uh, because I, I did find it interesting that United wanted break clauses in January. You know, yep. um, 
the the, the cost for United to keep these players through the end of the year would have been minuscule. Um, but for some reason, they wanted these introduced. I also wonder about how robust these controls are with Saudis um, coming into the market and um, you know being able to take players out, you know, these who aren't obviously subject to the UEFA controls, and um, and of course, how toothless are they really legally? Whenever you see clubs that repeatedly flout them, they aren't really punished. Um, I, I, you know, but. I, but of course, you know that's that's a different issue. Um, so we we know that when you have people saying we're going to buy this player, we're going to buy that player, we're going to, it's not realistic, right? Yep. I mean, everything has to conform to obviously FFP, and if they at least give the illusion you're trying to comply. Um, and you know, if you look at the current model of United's ownership. Joel and Avram of 98% control the football side. Mm-hmm. The business side is equitably distributed amongst all six siblings. So it would appear that Jim Ratcliffe's got 98% control of the football side. But part of the mm-hmm. problem, James, is they are um, inseparable. And so whenever you've got Joel Glazer refusing to uh, fund certain signings because they don't tick certain boxes, mm-hmm. um how do you get it if Jim Ratcliffe says, okay, you know what, I want to go after this player, I want to go after that player, and, and the people that control the purse strings are going, well, actually, we don't want to do that because it, you know, contradicts our, you know, ideologies. And I mean, how, how do you find any type of, of consensus on this? Because one of the things that Jim said is it's really difficult dealing with six siblings to get consensus on getting them yep. to sell. So how do you now find that to run a football club? Well, the thing that I would assume from this and obviously what we will see this um jim ratcliffe's not a, not stupid either yeah of course you know i think that the way to simply look at it based on my understanding of of how this will work is you just replace joel glazer with jim ratcliffe in that in that in, in the in the scenarios that have just been described yeah, but they've still got to go to the glazer family just for budget yeah, perhaps so- but Joel Glazer, you know, there's there's still a budget. When Joel Glazer makes the decision often on signing a player, he's not having to run a buy and carry a a special board meeting with all the other siblings and and board members, right? Um, There's already a degree of separation, a degree of budget that is set out. The issue is it's controlled by Joel Glazer. It's Mm. not passed down to... You know, I'm not saying necessarily that it should be, but at the moment it's not passed down to to to, uh, to Richard Arnold or even to John Murtaugh, right? Mm-hmm. John Murtaugh as the, as the director of football is not being told, this is your budget. This is how much cash there is to spend. This is how FFP is going to work. This is how it's going to align. Go figure out how to what you want to do within the confines of that budget. It's That's being done by Joel Glazer. There will be a budget for the football side of things that is set. And I think the simplicity of it of it is it will be whatever is in compliance with FFP. And if any of us want to invest in addition, again, within compliance of FFP, because that has to be in there and they will understand all of this, they will have control over those funds that they invest into it. These are some of the stipulations they're being asked for. When you know, part of it is obviously how do you how do you how do you know these types of things? But if it's being reported, which it is, that a, a stipulation for the deal to go through entirely 
is that Jim Ratcliffe controls the sporting side and it will not pass without that control. I'm certain that within that, it's not going to be a lame duck type of situation, you know, where, where one has now he, that means he's the sporting director and he still has to answer to Joel Glazer for, for everything as it has, it has been Joel Glazer has been given full control by the siblings on what decisions get made on this area and how that money is spent. And I think you'd simply see a changing of personnel there to where that becomes a Jim Ratcliffe's. These are the types of things that, that someone like Jim Ratcliffe is not going to not think through. Yeah, of course. And, and, and obviously it's hard. It's hard. I understand. Like it is hard as anybody listening, anybody looking at this as a fan to say, how is it going to work? Because player expenditure is just one question. Yeah, okay, what's the budget for the best sports science department? What's the budget to significantly increase, you know, um, or, or you know, to improve the youth, youth facilities, mm-hmm. to improve yeah. facilities at the club? These are things that the Glazers have never shown any appetite in really yeah. investing in. So now all of a sudden you're saying, okay, um, you control the budgets. Now all of a sudden you have to approve budgets for, you know, uh, infrastructure investment. You have to now improve budgets for sports science departments, things that yeah. they don't really place a value on. You know, so, I, I mean, these are logistical operational questions. And I agree that these are obviously things that they will have discussed, but these are the things that need to be explained before I could turn around and say, you know, I completely support that. Like to me, I mm-hmm. think there are yeah. certain things that, I don't want these people at the football club at the same time. Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to be held to high standards too, right? Yeah. Because I don't yeah. want a different version of ownership with different intentions. I mean, if you look at Nisa, he's at Lausanne, he hasn't exactly been super successful. I mean, another in second right now. But if you look at over his four-year ownership and you look at all the previous four years, they've actually been worse under his ownership than what they were before. Um, hopefully he's learned some lessons there. Um and like he said, failure at Manchester is very public. And here's the thing, to catch clubs like Manchester City, you need to be exceptional at everything. You can't have bottlenecks. You can't have disagreements mm-hmm. over, you know, I don't want to invest 20 million in sports science. We just want to invest five. Um, and we control the budget. So, you know, I think that these are things that um, I have legitimate concerns about because these, the, if I take Sir Jim Ratcliffe at his word, he has a very different vision for Manchester United than what the Glazers do. And uh, I don't know how you get people to have some type of um, a, a agreement on that and consensus on how that gets done and compromise on that. Um, you know, because I, 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 I don't know. I mean, these are legitimate questions that, that I think I have to have answered and you know obviously it's easier when there when when there's a hundred percent ownership and you don't have to you know um find some some type of um balance in these ideologies and this is why i think it's really really important for me to see a, poten- a pathway to okay if 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 i say if he if part of this offer says we you know with through within three years not a potential, not a maybe, a guarantee there will be a complete takeover, then I think, obviously, the Glazers are going to find it very difficult to control major long-term decisions at the club, you know, so I think 
obviously there's you know if, if we're going to be out in three years very difficult for me to say you can't invest in these in this infrastructure and what have you and i would imagine they will say to, to jim ratcliffe if you want to make any major infrastructure investment since we're being out in three years it's you doing it not us we'll have no part mm-hmm. of it you know so um because at the end of the day that's investment in your own assets you know it's a, all right like the house analysis you know if i'm owning a house in three years then it's going to be bought off the bank if i'm put you know an extra shed in the backyard it's that's my investment not the banks you know it has nothing to do all with right it. so i think that would have, would would allay a lot of my fears if there was included in this offer a very deliberate and specific uh pathway to um imminent um takeover where i was in you know a 36 month window then you know a lot of these questions that i have about logistics and you know what's going to be the controlling ideology of the club would would, would, would probably get answered well that is the point and that is because the questions you're asking if there's no guaranteed pathway to full ownership are impossible questions to answer yeah factually right they're just impossible we could we could go over a million different scenarios on how it would work but it would be so complicated yeah if there is a guaranteed pathway to majority ownership and potentially full ownership right full takeover then it becomes very easy because it answers all those questions it's as simple as buying a house from the bank right it is it is frankly the same analogy You'll invest whatever you want in there because you know you're going to own the house at the end of the day. If you're renting, there's no way you're investing that kind of money, right? Why would you? It's not yours. You're you're putting money into someone else's pocket. And I think logically that provides the simple answer into all of this. If Jim Ratcliffe is planning to invest in the club, it's because there's a path to ownership. If there's no path to ownership, he's not going to invest in it. And obviously we're all waiting for the guarantees that that is the case. I think right now we can, we can, at least as far as I know, operate under the assumption of that because it answers a lot of these questions and it's practically impossible to think it through or to talk about it without that assumption in place, right? Um, we'll find out in the next few days because when that agreement is made public after Thursday, should they ratify it at the board meeting, it'll be there. It has to be there, as far as I understand. Those those things will have to be made public in the filings. Um, you know, right now, what we can rely on is people such as who are very well informed on this. Even if you don't include myself or you, the Times, the people who have been very close to the Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos side of this and have been accurate all along, have been fairly insistent. This is a pathway to yeah. full takeover. Um, I know the language isn't 100% definite, but you're not really expecting to get definite language in these types of reports until the type of thing is agreed and ratified because agreements can change in one day to the next, right? Um, But if we operate under the assumption for the purpose of, of discussion here that there is a pathway to ownership, a guaranteed pathway to majority ownership, then a lot of these questions get answered. He's going to invest because yeah. he's investing in his own asset. So, and, and and there is part of the dilemma is if he ends up being in the exact same position that the Glazers are in right now, where he's majority owner and controls all the major decisions at the football club, then those questions get answered. But the fact yep. is he's not. 
right now and those decisions are still controlled by the Glazers so those are things that I have concerns about that need to get answered the other thing is let's treat Jim Ratcliffe on his merits we need to know what's going to happen to the debt other thing is lots of talks about Dave Brailsford coming in what's Dave Brailsford's specific um you know qualities that quality attributes that qualify him you know, to to be, you know, the head honcho at Manchester United to bring in, you know, sport and excellence. I mean, I know he's never been able to recreate any type of success that he had with a cycling team, a team sky. So how does he come in and all of a sudden bring about the changes that United need? Um, the other question then becomes this, with Jim Ratcliffe, essentially, let's say that the reports are true in which I, I've... When I spoke to people about this back in, I don't know, May or June, July, we are talking about the, 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 the uh, NEOS bid. That was what was communicated to me was that, you know, in his meetings with the Glazers, the things that stood, because initially they didn't like him, right? So mm-hmm. obviously he, you know, um, finessed his message and his, the way he worked. But one of the things that stood out for, him, for people who were involved in that said that, he was extremely critical over, you know, the lack of uh, control parameters and evaluations and, um, you know, proper justifications for how revenue was spent. So he would completely, uh, he would commission, uh, I don't want to say investigation or some type of evaluation of yep. United sporting departments and change. If you're in those sporting departments right now, John Murder or in key positions i'd be very nervous yeah and um you know what type of environment are they going to work in over the next few months i think that's one of the reasons why it needs to be very quick about the communication there'll be a lot of very nervous people you needed maybe some fans will feel that's that's a good thing it's about time um but i think um over the next couple of months you could look at this if you're john murder in a in a in a way like if you're a player getting a chance on the pitch, this is my opportunity when press to show my value, or do I surrender and say I'm out no matter what happens? Because if I'm if I'm John Murder or I'm someone else, I would I would say I could easily blame all the problems on the Glazers. If you fund me properly, you give me this responsibility, that responsibility, you'll see a different John Murder. Um, be really interesting to see what happens with these people over the next few months. Yeah, it is, and 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 I find this one very funny because you've had fans and certain people who have been extremely hypercritical of United staff to the point where a lot of it was completely false as well mm. and, and often very misguided. Um, we know just how much influence Joel Glazer has had in decision-making to where I know for a fact that, you know, uh, if, if, if they presented the perfect player to sign, it still may of go course. nowhere and no one's ever going to hear about why and how, because it's, it's a little tough to start briefing against your boss. Uh, it gets real difficult. So, but at the same time, you know, I also see some people who have been clamoring for a clean sweep of the staff for years, suddenly arguing that the staff being worried about their replacement is a, is a bad thing. It's not. In, in actual fact, when you're dealing in a business, there's, there's, there's a bad side of this, which is that the drawn out nature of the takeover and how it's been dealt with and the lack of communication has been pretty unacceptable in terms of how employees are treated. And that is a different question to should um, the staff at United be judged based on their merits and 
their success. Absolutely. The same as they should in the players on the pitch and the same as they should in the coaching staff and in all of these areas, right? At the end of the day, if your goal is sporting success, this is a good sign, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. You should be worried about it because it hasn't been successful. This year isn't successful. What's happening is not successful from a sporting perspective, and it hasn't been for over a decade now. And um, and that's where, yeah, I think you're going to see probably the most immediate sort of, uh, of changes. And, and yeah, one, one could look at it and they're going to have to be sitting there and saying, yeah, if you're John Murtaugh, look at it and say, these are the, this is what's actually going on. Obviously there's going to be a lot more than we see on the front end. This is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm having. But one of the things that's already been indicated in one of the articles from the times that I've spoken about, and I know this is viewed as a negative because it's not how modern day clubs are run uh, is that um, it's been indicated in, in that Times article that there are already concerns about the recruitment being driven essentially just by the manager mm-hmm. um, and having too much influence on it instead of actually running a proper football department. Of course. And and that is, of, of course, to be very clear, done at the direction of Joel Glazer and the ownership. That is that is done on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that may change. It may not be that that is a, an indictment of John Murtaugh because that is the way that it is as that's the direction being there. And so it, this is going to be something that's really interesting because immediately there's going to be a lot of evaluations made. There's a couple of things that I would, I would add to this. You know, Dave Brailsford is, um, is not a necessarily a football guy, right? Mm-hmm. He is, however, viewed as an extremely, extremely well-versed and um, advanced in the areas in certain areas of analytics and sports science one of the areas where United as a whole have been way behind for a long time. We've talked about the injuries this year. We've talked about the load on players and things like that. Um, the understanding of fitness, all of that. These are areas where I think he would, you know, he's he, the intention is for him to come in and provide a lot of evaluation, but to be clear, I don't think Sir Dave Brailsford is going to be like, he's not going to be a, an, a United employee. He's not going to be, you know, director of footballs, Dave Brailsford. That's not how it's going to work. Um, you know, he's a member of Ineos team. And uh, and one of the advantages that we will have right away with Ineos being involved in this is the entirety of their um, resources are essentially available right away from the from a yes. sports perspective. And that actually is something that will shorten the cycle quite a bit. Um, and obviously they now have the experience from Nice and and such to 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 weigh on as well. The other person that I think is is important to think with is Blanc, um, who was a former president CEO of PSG mm-hmm. uh, at one point in time, who many credit to being one of the key people that was actually quite successful for them for quite a while. He also helped Juventus secure their funding and stadium rebuild, as far as I understand, uh, some years ago. He's been around sport a long time, and I think it's likely he was brought in specifically with this Manchester United deal in mind um, and to think where he can operate. I wouldn't be surprised to see him come in as someone like head of football, even if it's on a temporary basis, to provide you know, information, evaluation of the whole area and work with Jim Ratcliffe, Brailsford, et cetera, to not make decisions on transfers and things like that, because I think that's a far too basic way to look at it, but to appoint the right people, right. And to, to deal with what will likely be a major reshuffling of staff and things like that. 
Um, I do think someone like Richard Arnold is probably mm. more at risk than anybody else in the club in terms of his job because when you have a takeover or a transition, a new CEO gets appointed pretty much, period. Oh, and, he's to represent both parties. And, and, yeah. and Richard Arnold has, is too close to the Glazers yeah. and there has to be trust in an individual that has neutrality. Yep. Exactly. It's going to have to split one way or another. Maybe he doesn't get sacked and he becomes the head of commercial finance and mm. you appoint someone else as the head of football and you know someone like Blanc becomes the CEO of, of Manchester United Football Club. You may see something like that, but that's all obviously. I don't think so. I think that, um, <laughs> that if I'm Jim Ratcliffe, I don't want him though. Yeah. Primarily because this is a guy who, you know, you need – He's still going to have major influence at the club. Uh, yep. To me, I want somebody in that. You need your people. Yeah, because you you, you can't, that, that shows disharmony to me, and yeah. I think um, it's not it's not personal. You know, Richard Arnold will be well compensated on the way out, um, yeah. and he'll probably end up at one of the Glazers, other businesses somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, so to me, I think uh, that is very very important, and um, and also no disrespect to Richard, but. The job that it's been done over the last year is not been particularly great. Uh, they've toggled between one crisis to the next on his watch and probably mishandled just a bit every one of them. Yeah, 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 exactly. And 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 I, I think that is totally the case. And so, again, a lot of it is for now we have to operate under the, the premise that um, it is going to be an eventual full takeover and there's a guaranteed route to this because if so, then this is exactly everything that, I mean, a lot of this is going to come to pass regardless if he has sporting control, right? Brailsford coming in, evaluating Blanc likely being involved. There's obviously been talk of, you know, pointing a, a different type of director of football, someone like obviously the name Paul Mitchell has gone around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Edwards from Liverpool. A lot of this is true. And a lot of this is, in 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 a funny way, it's it's quite old news. As far back as February, you know, Ineos had been making plans for what to do on all of this. They'd been looking at this. They'd been putting people in place. They'd been evaluating who would be the right person to take over. There was a point through during the middle of this process where they were effectively in a bit of a data transition mode, where they were gathering a whole lot of the information on Manchester United to to transition into this. I think you'll see quite a quick sweep into this from Ineos because they've been preparing for this a long time. I mean, Jim Ratcliffe's been looking at this for far longer than this process has been ongoing. I think it's imperative, James, that whatever they do, there has to be a very clear, open and consistent dialogue with the fans. So I think um, once there's an announcement, I would sincerely hope that represent, you're not going to get this from the Glazers, but representatives yep. of Jim Ratcliffe are going to sit yep. down with the major United supporters groups in most, whatever. And even if there, there has to be some level of representation at United or, or yep. when it comes to consultation on decisions, I mean, so that yep. we don't have a repeat of this Galatas right nonsense and obviously all the other things that uh, have, have been an embarrassment to the club were. Based on fan reaction, we didn't do this. Based on well, if you actually listen to the fans rather than wait and see what they say on social media, you might um, avoid some of these embarrassing situations. So I think yeah. there has to be um, a seat on the board for United fan representative representatives in some way that represents the majority of um, of fans and 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 represents their views and they're taken into consideration when 
the club are making major decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those are the questions that are left unanswered, right, that, that are going to need to be. There's a few things that are going to have to absolutely be clarified very quickly. One of the things I know from speaking to to on, on my side, and this is consistent with how Enios have operated throughout this process, they're not going to talk about this before they're in. They're not going to well, talk about this before this is ratified. They cannot and they will not, they right? They it's it's not like that, they're, you know, and, and it's not because, oh, they want to wait until they're in before telling anyone so that nobody can do anything about it. You can't do anything about it anyway. It's up to the Glazers and it's up to Ineos. And it's not because of that why they're not talking right now. We've even we've seen it briefed pretty heavily from Glazer perspective to people in the last few days that the public comments from certain people involved have been quite a uh, not decisive but they've been an influencing factor in all of this because the mood when you're dealing with people like this, the personal relationship and the mood of these individuals and how they feel about you and how they trust you and all of that has a huge sway in all of this. And, you know, you brought this up the other day to me when we were talking, Jim Ratcliffe's going to make some nice comments about the Glazers after this is ratified. Yeah, of course. He's going to say some nice things about them like he did before. Yeah. Yeah, so what he's not you have to be in a you have to be an adult about how this how this goes and, and the way that this is all dealt with and deal with things in the real world. Yeah, because what he's not gonna do is gonna come out and say, you know what, this is the end of the nightmare, we're gonna redo this, <laughs> it's gonna be excellent. I know this has been shipped before, but this is gonna be far better, this is gonna be far better, you know. So it's obviously going to be worded in you know a pretty benign way. Um, yeah. And so people are going to have to read between the lines and understand that this is relationship management and that this yeah. isn't truly reflective of his views. And if he really endorsed, you know, what the Glazers were doing, he wouldn't be asking for these controls. Again, yeah. um, you know, like I said, uh, I have a lot of questions. Um, yeah. And uh, if it is a pathway to you complete ownership within a couple of years, majority ownership. Um, and it is something I would 100% support. And I would say this is yep. the best position United have been in in 20 years since Glazers. I understand there are people listening to this that are very angry that Qatar weren't successful. I totally understand that. I'm a Manchester United fan. I'm not a Sir Jim Ratcliffe fan. I'm not a Qatari fan. I just want what's best for the football club. And whatever that is, that's best. I, I, whatever's best, that's what I want. Um, so, yeah. you know, I've seen people, you know, burn it to the ground, do this, do this, because their favourite guy didn't win. Um, I just want what's best for the club. There's the, my, my support for United isn't contingent upon my favourite guy being the manager and my favourite yeah. guy owning the football club. I just want what I want the football club funded properly and owned by people who have a duty of care to the sport instead of the business. Um, so, uh Obviously, like we said, lots of questions. One of the things that will be interesting is how do you think this will be received? Let's say if this comes out on Thursday, you would imagine you know, if it's all all you know, if, it, if it's all worded properly, that this would be largely received favorably by the players and the manager yep. ahead of the game against African United at the weekend. I think it's huge. It, were you? Did you want to say something else on that before you wanted me to answer? No, I mean, how okay. do, you, okay. uh, yeah. do you affect the mood and say the football club? Um, do you think you'll have something similar like you've had at Newcastle, where all of a sudden you know a lot of the darkness has been lifted, and now you see you know late at the end of the tunnel, or do you think you know because it's not a complete takeover, it won't have that impact? How do you think it will affect Ten Hag and the uh, players? I think it'll be 
extremely positive for them. If I put myself in the shoes of these individuals, you're at this club where the constant focus is on the Glazers. The talk is about the Glazers. Mm -hmm. You never hear from the Glazers. You never speak to the Glazers. They show up at a, at a final here and there. And in essence, a lot of times you're left in the dark. I know that any critiques I could have on Ten Hag, on Murtaugh, on transfers, on things like that over the summer, I also know that they spend days and weeks waiting for a phone call from Joel Glazer to make sure. a decision. Yeah. That affects things. That makes things feel a certain way. If immediately you know you're going to have somebody who is – look, let's face it, on this on – this, on this, Jim Ratcliffe is, has been more public in terms of his appearances in the last six months than the Glazers have been in 10 years. Yeah. He is a pretty public individual in a lot of ways, right? They go to him and his team. They go to all these sporting events. They go to the, the races. They go to these things. He showed up at Old Trafford and had discussions already with, with Eric Ten Hag and shook his hand and spoke to him in the halls and things like that, right? I think that immediately you would get a message from – someone who is very successful in his own right and who's from the area and who came from essentially nothing and who's built this entire empire of, of Ineos and is very involved in sports, very active in it, very um, successful at it in a lot of ways, coming in there and telling you what they're going to do and what your focus is going to be. And I think it's, going to be a get serious moment for a lot of players. And I think that's what a lot of them need because uh, effectively look, and, and some of this is PR, but that's okay. There's, there's a use of PR. PR helps, you know, the public relations of coming in and saying, this is what's going to happen. This is where we're going. This is the direction. It, it does set a mind state. And for a lot of players, because there has been this mindset, it's been a free ride at Manchester United. And for those players, it's going to push them away. And for the players who want to win, I think it's going to be extremely encouraging to them to have this type of feeling. I think that that's what you're going to see. And I know there's going to be protests and things like that over the next few weeks to continue on Glazers out and, and all of that. And I think, obviously, depending on what type of statement comes out in terms of whether there is a guaranteed yeah. takeover at the end of that is really going to measure how much uh, in terms of those protests mm -hmm. is going to be how much support there will be. If there's an agreement in place that the Glazers are gone in three years, there's nothing left to protest in that respect. It's done. Yeah. The, I, the I, agreement is reached, you know, and, and, and that'll, that'll be interesting to see there. I think there will be a lot of fan positivity too, which, which I think has an effect on the atmosphere at, I don't think this this deal as it's being taken is going to be viewed nearly as negatively as you get the impression from social media and from certain people. Yeah, look, I, I'm not telling anyone else how to feel. Yeah. Mean, they all have their own views on it. Um, my own personal view is um, if you'd have said to me last July that we would have a situation where the Glazers are going to be out in three years and owned by Sir John Ratcliffe, I would have bitten your hand off for it. Um, it's not the complete pie that I wanted. It's a significant slice of it. Um, and so I think it would take a lot of the energy out of the protests. If you could see, you know, a complete, you know, glazer um, removal from the football club within 36 months, I think for most people that would be sufficient. But if that isn't there, 
then I still understand why, because in, in, yeah. in materially not much has changed, um, yeah. to be honest. Um, and keep pushing and protesting. I mean, I'm, I'm fully uh, supporting that if the agreement is not there. What I would say on that, uh, pretty much from day one when Sir Jim Radcliffe got involved, and I've listened to podcasts from Andy Mitten with Jim O'Neill, who, who knows Jim Radcliffe very well, who, of course, is a famous economist. Jim Radcliffe's very well aware um, of how toxic the Glazers are to United fans. And it's always been something where he understands for his legacy, any type of acquiescence with the Glazers would significantly stain that legacy. Mm -hmm. And that uh, I think for him, I would be very surprised if he has done a deal with the Glazers that doesn't involve, you know, their removal within you know, 36 months or, or, or similar window, three or five years. Anything yeah. more than that would be a major concern because the variables are endless. Things could change, you know. Jim, Sir Jim Radcliffe could, could die. You know, he's 70, 71, not a young guy. So I think there's a lot of a lot of questions that need answering, but I would be very surprised knowing um, Jim Radcliffe was well aware of the, the sense of feeling towards the yeah. And that, um, again, if you look at his open bid statement, you know, that was something that he was well aware of. Uh, all right, my friend, anything else to add before we go? No, I mean, you know, one of the things I just, I would say, without telling anybody what to think about all of this, is that the biggest hurdle for people to get over in, in thinking about all this, and I do mean get over because one kind of has to at some point in time, is you, you cannot view what's going on right now through the lens of, but Qatar would have. Mm. They didn't buy the club. They didn't put up an offer that was sufficient for the Glazers to accept it. As much as we might say the Glazers should have sold to them at the price that they're offering and it's more than reasonable, I think by now everybody should understand the fact that you can't expect them to be reasonable. <laughs> you can't expect them to do it. The alternative to this deal was not necessarily Qatar. There's very little indication that they were ready to accept that bid if it weren't for Jim Ratcliffe's. That's why they continued to do another round of bids and another round of bids and continued opening it. And the stories that you saw about how they potentially might take the club off the market and wait a few years were not inaccurate. If they couldn't reach a deal with Jim Ratcliffe, which was at evaluation that they wanted, which is $6 billion for the club, they may have held on for two to three years and um, and done nothing and, and, and waited for interest rates to go down and continued to bleed the club little by little by little um, because they really wouldn't mind if next year we were sixth or eighth as long as the bills are getting paid and, you know, they were continuing the value and eventually that European – Champions League, Super League thing comes in place. And it is it is tough to think with, but that is a perspective I think we have to take. That being said, the biggest question I think we all have from this discussion that we want to make sure of is, is there a guaranteed path to yeah. a full takeover? Yeah. I asked, um, I, I, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised about this. I did a poll in, in my Discord just to give a little bit of a measure of this. I did a poll in my Discord and I did one on Twitter. And obviously there's a bit of a, um, like the, the audience, what's the word for it? You know, it's it's my audience. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it, it, it's my audience. 
I speak my mind very openly about things and I, and I'm, I don't know that I would have the same viewpoint as a lot of people. In the Discord, I asked people, you know, Ineos with 25% ownership, funding for the stadium, debt and sporting control. And then I gave three scenarios. Yes, but I hope it leads to majority control. Yes, but without a guaranteed full takeover in the future, I'd rather the club stays on the market until another buyer offers the Glazers asking price. And the third option was no, I'd rather the club stays on the market until someone offers the asking price. It was overwhelmingly in favor of yes, which I found fairly interesting that even without a guaranteed full takeover, it was something like 386 votes for that versus 70 for the second and only 17 for the third. Similarly, I ran a poll on, on Twitter, which was Jim Ratcliffe with 25% ownership. Same with that. And I added a path to majority control in the future and full sporting control immediately. And 23% was yes so far. 46.7% was better than no sale, while 17% was no, and 13% was worse than no sale. And that's 18,500 votes. That's a pretty significant you know, number of votes. And that's on, on Twitter, X, or how, how have you. So you had essentially 69% of people who would view this as, even if it's not the best outcome right now, it's a positive outcome in comparison to potentially what, uh, you know, nothing happening and, and, and all of that. So I think there will be a lot of support for this. I think as soon as Ineos get in, the first thing is obviously to detailed publish exactly where they want to go, exactly what they plan to do, and exactly what this all entails. And until that happens, it is very, very right for people to question it, for people to be worried about it, for people to have concerns. But I would also advise not to get all worked up by people who don't know what they're talking about that are telling you it's one way or another um, without having access to the knowledge of, of what is going to come. Yeah, the other the reason other, to get agitated about it before you know there's a yeah. reason to be agitated. Look, just to my final point on it, I think one of the things I mean, I've grown conditioned to this, so it doesn't bother me the way it most did, is this childish uh, allegation that any, you know, even reporting on a particular bid is therefore propaganda and it's a repudiation of someone else's. I mean, you grow up, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. should we not talk about this? You know, I mean, this is this is ridiculous, totally ridiculous that um, people don't want to even talk about it just because it's not their bid and. It's, it's weird to me how they don't apply the same logic. Hi, it's Ratcliffe PR. If he turns around and says he's going to invest in Fatum and do this and do this, but it's not Qatari PR if they invest or vice versa. You know, he's going to buy Mbappe. I yeah. saw that one this morning. Yeah. No, but, but, but I, mean, I just don't understand how people are operating with that type of software. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. So you don't have, there's, you know, the inconsistency. So you're telling me that it's Ratcliffe PR if he says he's going to invest in the stadium, but it's not Qatari PR or it's, you know, it's Qatari PR, but not right. I mean, of course, there's PR involved in this. And of yeah. course, they should declare their intentions. These are very, very important aspects of these deals. Um, yep. and look, I understand with your own audience, you get a bit of an echo chamber. You have people that yeah. are attracted to you because they they, they share similar yep. views to you. So it's not always the best barometer when you're asking people that have been listening to you for years for objectivity because, you know, it's a, it's a refined audience. Um, somewhat to you know, people that, that um have similar views to yourself, I understand that, but um, I, I really do appreciate people who listen to my podcast who don't share my views. Um, yeah. that is something that um, and don't agree with me on most things. I think that is 
you something that uh, you appreciate immensely. Um, because yeah, absolutely. I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready about anything, so it's always good to hear other views and uh, people who can tell some of the things that I think is right. Um, but uh, anyway, um, we will see what happens later on in the week. Um, and uh, obviously, if we get more information on this, there's obviously things that um, have been shared that can't go public until there's you know a, a complete agreement. Um, that uh, what I would say slightly is with so Jim Ratcliffe had set aside 1.7 billion to invest in Chelsea if he was successful in the takeover. He knows that what matches need to need. I would expect from what I've heard, I would have confidence that there's going to be a significant cash injection capital put into the football club. And because it doesn't have to go through a Premier League approval process where you've got to wait months, um, it would be available immediately with the hope, obviously, that that would significantly help Eric Ten Hag in January for an immediate dividend. But um, at the very least, I think if with this goes through, um, there'll be significant capital invested into United and made available um, for yeah. much needed things. So we, we shall see. All right, folks, thanks to all of you for downloading the podcast, for listening, for uh, watching on YouTube, everything else. We'll be back. Um, next week or after we play Sheffield United and if something major happens in between maybe we'll do something in between but um and maybe for- live next time we might be able to answer a lot more questions yes, yes, like yes, that well, and- yeah. uh, so that's good chat. so next week we'll do it live so yeah. um all right folks take it easy see you James yeah see you later thank you okay, bye, bye. bye.